Good Shepherd Sunday, according to a long and venerable tradition in the church, is that Sunday of the year on which pampered urban clergy like myself, who have never set foot on a farm, pretend that we know a thing or two about sheep. I gotta be honest with you, sheep do not grab me. I was, I was completely ready to avoid talking about sheep and shepherds this morning, because I'm kind of I'm kind of a little tired of being called a sheep all the time by Jesus. Maybe this, is an, maybe this is an image for the life of faith that is more meaningful and potent for those of you who actually grew up in rural areas and have hands-on experience, as Jesus of Nazareth almost certainly did, with sheep and sheep herding. I do not know the first thing about the business of sheep raising. I do, however, have some experience with the world of religious sentimentality. And it seems to me that there is no Christian image, no icon, no metaphor for God as susceptible to a treacly, cutesy sentimentality as the image of the Good Shepherd and that adorable little lamb that he carries safely in his arms. Sheep are cute, and I think that's part of the problem. Because God ain't cute. Sheep may also be obstinate and dumb. You may have heard that preached at you. I've heard that said. Apparently, that is a rumor that was promulgated by cattle ranchers who were frustrated that sheep did not behave in the way that cows are supposed to and therefore called them stupid. So a little bit of defense on behalf of the sheep. But cattle ranchers notwithstanding, Jesus did not say, I am the good cowboy, which... I mean, is kind of a shame. I kind of delight in the image of my Lord and Savior in chaps, frankly, but it's, uh, it's not what we get. We're stuck with sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's clearly echoing Psalm 23, right? That most beloved of Psalms. We sang it twice just now. We love it so much. Jesus probably would have had Psalm 23 memorized from his Jewish upbringing, just as many of you probably have it memorized in the King James Version. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He reviveth my soul. It's become perhaps the most beloved of the Psalms, at least for Protestant Americans. Catholics don't historically have quite the same fetish with Psalm 23 in the same way that wasps do, but we love it. This beautiful hymn of trust and security found in the vigilant and watchful love of the one who guideth me along right pathways, yea, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. On the surface of things, Psalm 23 is all about safety isn't it? Safety and comfort. There are, there are dangers lurking in the psalm, right? The presence of those who trouble me, my enemies, is always waiting beyond the green pastures and the still waters. But what we love about Psalm 23 is that it gives us a happy ending, right? That's probably why it is the go-to psalm for funerals. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in God's house Forever is what the King James says. All my days is a more literate translation, but the idea is the same, right? On the other end of this life of strife and suffering, there is a reward that awaits me in the arms of my Savior. The King James translation of this psalm, which many of us know by heart, is one of the great masterpieces of the English language. And unfortunately, it tends to kind of obscure, maybe, some of the more interesting and, and I would say, radical ideas that this psalm contains, which are, which are the very ideas about sheep and shepherding that Jesus picks up on in John's gospel when he calls himself the good shepherd. 
If we, can, if we can look beyond the easy sentimentality of a blonde-haired, blue-eyed savior and a spotlessly clean little lamb, there's actually some really interesting stuff going on in this set of images around sheep and shepherding. It's an image of leadership that is non-hierarchical, but also entirely clear about roles and responsibilities. It's an image of protection that is neither militant nor defensive in posture. It's an image of care and guidance that is neither pushy nor, co nor coercive. The Good Shepherd is actually a little more subversive than the pious Sunday school paintings give him credit for. Psalm 23 is describing a journey, right? And this is often a difficult journey. It goes through rocky and complicated territory. And these images that we get of, of comfort and security along the way, right? The green pastures, the still waters, they're envisioned as, as resting places, as stopping off places. They are not the final destination of this journey. Life is a journey, as the psalmist understands it. This continued rhythm of going out into the world, into the valley of the shadow of death, and then coming back to these places of, of solace and comfort to rest, but only momentarily, right? The real work, the real journey, the place where the, the shepherd is always leading the sheep out into is the valley of the shadow of death. The darkness and the, the pain, the places of suffering and despair in this psalm they're not envisioned as places to flee, a dark patch to be gotten through as quickly as possible. Psalm 23 actually gives us an image of a shepherd who is leading his flock into the valley of the shadow of death. And it's in the valley of the shadow, in the presence of everything that troubles me, the presence of mine enemies, that's the place where the banquet is laid for me. Americans have, have tended to look for a, you know, kind of individualized, comforting shepherd rather than a, a challenging, a more demanding shepherd, maybe, that Psalm 23 presents. A shepherd who, who knows all of his sheep by name, right, but cares for them as a flock, as a, as a group, as a, as a gathered community, not solo artists on, a, on an epic journey into heaven. There is comfort to be had in this psalm, for sure. But as soon as we start to get you know, maybe a little too comfy in the house of the Lord. The psalm is suggesting the good shepherd is actually standing out there. He's at the door. He's ready to lead us back out into the world. I mean, that's certainly the way that Jesus understands this psalm, right? He's, Jesus says the good shepherd is good because the good shepherd is willing to embrace death, because death does not frighten him, because the needs of the ones entrusted to the care of the Good Shepherd are of paramount importance to him. And Jesus seems to be suggesting not just, I'm going to take care of you, but more specifically, and maybe harder, if you're going to follow my voice, you're going to have to take care of one another. The first letter of John which is a later, a later writer kind of riffing on the earlier tradition of the Gospel of John, gives a kind of a gloss on this image of the Good Shepherd as it applies to his community, which is riven by strife. And the writer of First John, John says, we know love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us. Therefore, we ought also to lay down our lives for one another. How can God's love abide in somebody, he asks, somebody who has all of the world's goods and yet sees a brother and sister in need and refuses to help? It's a rhetorical question, but the answer is not a good one, right? God's love does not abide in such a one. There is a clear litmus test for this writer, and it's, it's kind of uncomfortably black and white, right? Professing with your lips, believing with your mind, all of that is easy. That's kids' play. Loving 
in truth and action is what will take you into the valley of the shadow of death. That's the place that Jesus is willing to go. It's a place that Jesus went. And it is the very place, John suggests, into which Jesus' followers are being called if we listen to his voice. I thought I had a pretty easy life. When I was about 24, 25 years old, I remember I was lonely, I was single, looking for a job, and I remember in the shower one morning praying to God, if you would just get me a job and a boyfriend, I'll be fine for the rest of my life. And a year later, I had the job, and a couple years later, I had the boyfriend who became my husband. We bought a house. It has a frickin' white picket fence around it, right? Like, I mean, I was set. At 30 years old, I'm like, I arrived. My life is here. I became the dean of a gigantic, gorgeous cathedral. I'm like, you know, everything is, everything is great. Everything is hunky-dory in my life. But the Good Shepherd is, is not finished with me, I have discovered quite yet. And that place of safety, the house with the white picket fence, right? That place of safety is not necessarily God's place of safety for me. And over the past year or so, James and I have been facing some interesting challenges in our life. One of them was, was this whole dean thing. James did not know when he married me that I was going to become the dean of Trinity Cathedral, and that has been a, an interesting transition to make, a challenging transition in some ways for, for me in some ways, but for James in some very specific ways, uh, the, the kind of radical availability that this job asks of both of us. Um, and that's been, that's been an interesting thing to kind of watch. And some of you know, uh, because of Facebook, it's very public now, that James has been on his, on his own journey over the past year or so, and it culminated a couple weeks ago when he was crowned the, the, the queen of Portland's drag queen comedy competition. I am now in a position to say that I am married to the queen of Portland drag. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, I, that is not a future I envisioned for myself. Um, <laughs> That is not something I saw coming when I walked down the aisle of this cathedral and was married by my bishop at this, at this altar. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't know when we got together that drag was in James's future. James didn't know that either. That has kind of come, uh, um, come, come, come together. But what he's discovered, and this is no surprise to me, right? It's, my husband is also a priest. Um, and what I've seen and what James would say is it's the very things that make James a good priest that make him a good drag queen. James, James would say this is all one vocation, right? It, he, he puts on a dress and creates community on Sunday morning, just like I do. And he does the same thing on Saturday night. He just does it in wigs and a heel. It wigs and heels, you know, it's, it's basically like it's creating community, it's meeting people where they are, and we, we wear pretty fancy clothes regardless. So the first time I saw my husband in drag, I have to tell you, it freaked me out. Like I was, I was viscerally repulsed. Um, I, I was not ready to, to see this. I, uh, I, I, and I have to admit, I, I kind of have been dragged into this whole situation, um, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> so to speak. Uh, Kicking and screaming, I have not come willingly. I've been, um, this is a moment of confession, I have been judgy, I have been condemning, I have been, you know me, some of you, passive aggressive, I've been withholding, I've done just about everything in my power except to love and celebrate the incredible person that my husband is and is becoming. So that's been my valley, and I've had to really really wrestle with that. What does it mean to be in a relationship with someone who is on this journey, and I'm on it too, and he's leading me into this thing that I didn't see coming? 
And I fought it, I've, I've pushed at it, and I'm learning now, this is where I need to be. This is the valley of the shadow of death, and I love it. Like, there is a banquet spread before me if I have the kahunas to actually, like, engage it, right? Like, this is, this is beautiful stuff. Because what I've learned is that God is not found in the clench of my fear. God is not experienced in the grip of judgment and condemnation that I know too well. I hear the voice of the Good Shepherd calling when I pursue a path of love. And it is a challenging path. But that is where the Good Shepherd calls us. Nowhere less. We say sometimes at Trinity that we have designed our liturgies to comfort you where you hurt and to challenge you where you have grown complacent. I have grown complacent in my life. Maybe you have too. Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Some of you know Bill Lupfer used to say that. I uh, have had that ringing around in my head over the last year. So if you are a harried and harassed sheep today, right? If you're coming out of the world hounded by danger and despair, if you're longing for a place of safety and security, right? Lay your head down here. This is a good place to be. This, this cathedral actually was built to be a place of green grass and still waters. It's a place of refuge and healing and peace for every single one of God's sheep, whatever fold you happen to have wandered in from. But if you're like me, and you've been feeling a little bit of the, the pinch, the nudge, the, the goad of the hound of heaven, if you're maybe ready to move out of that place of security and safety and into a harder place, into what you might describe from this vantage point as the valley of the shadow of death, that valley is also the valley of growth and transformation. And if you're ready to go there, I invite you to take a tentative step into that place that scares you. I don't know what's going to happen to you out there. The world is a, a dangerous place. This much I know. The promise is we do not go there alone. The shepherd goes with us. He actually goes ahead of us. He leads the way and then turns around and beckons us there. That's what it means to follow his voice. There is nothing saccharine or sentimental about this guy. He walks right into the jaws of death itself and stands there beckoning and urging and leading us on. Even in the darkest valleys, the psalm says, we need fear no evil. And that's the weird and counterintuitive rhythm of this life of faith. That sometimes the place of safety is a place of lethargy. It's a place of contentment. And that is actually not where we hear the voice. Sometimes it's the place of danger. It's the place of risk. It's the place of the valley of the shadow. That's where we hear the voice of the one who calls us by name. The counterintuitive thing is that it's in the most dangerous place that we are held most closely. It's the place of danger that is the place of greatest safety.